Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! Do, 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 do. Hi, everybody. This is Katie. This is Kimberly. And you're listening to a Date with Dateline special Thanksgiving episode, which is basically just parts of our interview that we did with Josh Mankiewicz that have not aired yet. And here they are. We got to give more because we're so thankful for all of you. Yeah. And we're so thankful for him. Yeah, that's true. We wouldn't be where we are without him. He's a great friend of the show, a friend to women, and a friend to humanity. He is. We like Josh Mankiewicz very much, Sir Mankey. The man, the myth, the, the hanky. The manky. Oh, it's got to be threes. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. So now we're going to talk about the episode called A Cool Desert Morning, which is about the death of Susan Winters in Henderson, Nevada, just outside Las Vegas. And the episode called Wreckage. And it is about a lot of things, but among them, it's about the murders of Molly Matheson, Megan Getram in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and what led up to them and what came after them. Okay, let's talk about a cool yeah. desert morning. All right, yes. a cool desert morning. It's a story, we, you know, I was assigned to that story years and years and years ago. Because it kept getting delayed, then it got delayed more because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and we were certain that it was going to, that there was going to be a trial. The right. prosecutor, Mark DiGiacomo, said the same thing in the episode, which was, this guy's a medical professional. His license is, you know, hanging in the balance here. He's not going to take some plea. And he's said what he believes, you know, he's said his story. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. He's not backing off it. His daughters clearly believe him. Mm-hmm. And he's not, this guy is not going to admit that he committed a crime. He's not going to take a plea. There's going to be a trial. We thought so too. And mm-hmm. we were expecting that a good chunk of our second hour of that story was going to be the trial. Then, yeah. surprise to everybody. Um, he takes a play, an Alfred play, which is one of those things that, you know, if you reassemble the letters in Alfred play, it spells no one's happy uh, because <laughs> yeah, nobody you know, no one feels like they won when that thing's yeah. over, which some people are going to argue that that's the definition of justice when everybody feels, you know, whether, I, I don't yeah. know that that's right, but uh-huh. um, definitely like everybody was, you know, I mean, I'm sure his family was disappointed that he took a plea. The winner's family yeah. uh, were angry that he didn't have to admit anything. And we were angry that there was no trial because we were really looking forward to hearing all of that played out in court. And so yeah. at the last minute, we were thinking, okay, maybe this isn't two hours. Maybe this is one hour. Maybe this is an episode of the last day on Peacock. Um, oh, because it certainly would track with that, with yes, know, Susan's absolutely. last day. Mm-hmm. That, that would have worked. And those episodes are an hour or a little bit more. They can be a little longer than an hour. They don't have to be mm-hmm. exactly an hour. So we were thinking about maybe that. But then we realized, actually, there's enough here to get to two hours. Oh, yeah. And we did. And it's a pretty good story. Because, you know, if you want to murder someone and make it look like suicide and stage it as a suicide, Picking someone who has already thought about suicide, talked about suicide, Mm -hmm. and clearly at some point had suicidal thoughts, they're the perfect victim because Mm -hmm. everybody's mind just leaps to, well, they just went ahead and did that. Now, the Mm -hmm. story of Susan Winter is a little more complicated than 
than that. But there is no question that at one time she thought about it and told friends about it. I don't think she told her, I don't know if she told her parents about it, but she certainly told her friends that. Right. And, you know, that And her children, her children were kind of aware Mm -hmm. that that was a thing. So, and I mean, think that a lot of the things that her kids are saying are probably true from their perspective. Yeah. I mean, they saw her issues up close. Now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't make suicide more or less plausible in a legal sense, but it certainly did, I think, to them. They also had their dad in their ear. No, and nobody wants to admit dad killed mom. You no know? one. I mean, that's the, yes. these would not be the first kids to not want to hear those words. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think I think their behavior is completely uh, understandable. And again, again, you know, I mean, this was the strongest part of Brent Dennis's case. There were four people in that house. One of them's dead. The other three all tell the same story. And, you know, nobody thinks those girls were involved in that. They're telling the story that they witnessed, you know. And because it didn't go to trial, they never get to hear that somebody was very upset about that. They just really want the daughters to be able to reconnect with the grandparents. But since it never went to trial, they didn't get to hear. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's right. And that's one of the that relationship between daughters and grandparents, I think, is going to be one of the big casualties of this that story. And you spent time with that family. It seemed like, didn't, mm-hmm. did you, you interviewed, I know them. Yeah. All of them, the brother, yeah, the mother, them, uh, yeah, the yeah, mom, two, the dad. Two different interviews. Yeah. I mean, look, they, they were steadfast from the beginning. Yeah. And parents are from the generation that, that my parents were from, which is that mental health issues are something you don't talk about and something that sure. if you have significant mental health issues, there's something you could potentially be embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. So one of the sure. things I was worried about in this was the father saying what angered me was that he not only killed my daughter, but he smeared her name. Um, saying that somebody was depressed and depressed enough to think about ending their life is not smearing their name. Correct. Uh, You know, lots of people struggle with mental health issues in this country. And one of the things that makes their life the toughest is that is that there's a stigma attached to saying that you're depressed or seeing Mm -hmm. a psychiatrist or being medicated or a lot of things that that go along with trying to get some help for any condition that you might be feeling or any, you know, misery that you might be in. But that he's from that generation. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh And so that was part of it. I mean, I also think that when you reach a certain age, you probably don't tell your parents, you know, who are the age that they are now, you know, hey, I'm feeling really depressed. And the other Mm -hmm. day I was wondering whether I wanted to go on or not. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're lucky, you have friends that you can talk to about that and family. And she probably did. And also at one point, she clearly sought treatment for that. And she had some medication and you know, there's every reason to believe that she had moved beyond whatever mental anguish she was in the time when she went into the garage and thought about suicide, but then didn't go through with it. Mm -hmm. Right. They're also of the generation where they had all these things planned, looking forward to the future, they would never do it. Whereas you never really know what's going on inside someone's head and depression can come up very suddenly. That's right. That's right. It's not necessarily because I felt great yesterday that, that I'm at no risk of harming myself today. That's, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- those are not necessarily, one does not necessarily follow. The other thing, which we didn't mention, here's something we didn't mention. You know, Brent was a psychologist. He right. would have known exactly the right things to say to police to make it seem as if her depression was worse than it was 
and that her suicidal thoughts were more recent and more prevalent than they in yep. fact were. And, you know, I think in this case, they, the, the, the cops in Henderson and the medical examiner in Clark County, they just sort of took Brent's word for it. And as I say, if you're thinking about murdering somebody and making it look like a suicide, somebody who's already thought about suicide becomes the perfect victim. And a guy who's a psychologist who knows how to play that up is the perfect murderer. I just feel like he was such a crap psychologist. He yells at the grieving mother to not vent because she's upset. He said, healthy people yeah, he don't. Says, healthy people don't vent. I thought, no, yeah. no, I thought healthy people vent all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's the opposite. Yeah. That's what's shocking is that he really, yeah, he seemed to be very aware that the parents would probably assume that he had murdered her, right? right. He murdered their right. daughter. Right. I mean, that's. Right. That's the interesting thing was that he instantly assumed I'm going to be accused of this. And yet you know? didn't think that somehow they maybe just it didn't occur to him that they would hire a private investigative team. I mean, I, I would have assumed that if they are going to go, they're going to accuse you. They're going to go to lengths to prove that as well. And then and but didn't yeah. think, well, I'm going to this hotel where there's very clearly video <laughs> cameras multiple times a day sometimes well, no look, one's going mean, to track that you know I mean, it's just... i mean i think that he was in the grips of a significant addiction and, i think so too you know I and think... i think that if you're using that much code you might not be thinking clearly about clearly things right. like you know what your in-laws are going to do mm-hmm. right uh, but yeah i don't think it did occur to brent that his in-laws were going to not just believe that he committed murder but try to prove it and to use their not insignificant wealth to make that happen. And, you know, one of the things that I liked about this episode is that they are about more than just the murder or murders. Yeah. Uh, You know, this one is about, in addition to to the death of Susan Winters, it's also about what relationship someone's mental health and someone's previous suicidal ideations play in a murder investigation. And also, it's about the clout of money in the justice system. Yes. Because most people wouldn't have the money to challenge the results of the medical examiner and the police department. Most -hmm. people would be forced to take that. I know people who have been forced to take that. And they, Mm -hmm. you know, they thought there was more there, but they couldn't prove it. And they didn't really know how to go about proving it. And they didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on top flight lawyers and private investigators. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, and you said that in this, you I said did. you were very clear. Yeah. The yeah. truth is there's no guarantee when you start down that road. I don't mean in this case, but in any case, you don't know whether, you know, you could be spending your life savings on some attorneys and PIs and you might not get any result different than what the cops already told you for free. Mm-hmm. It's totally true. There, there's a, our friends at the fall line, they have friends that have worked on, missing persons cases of families in lower income. And they started a group called Private Investigations for the Missing, and they provide no-cost private investigations for families that can't afford it. Because this family, with their sonic money, I mean, maybe millions of dollars? It wouldn't. I mean, they didn't tell us how much it cost. And they also clearly believe that whatever it was, worth it. Worth it, yeah. Uh, worth it. I mean, Which uh, it they, was. I yeah, mean, they said thought. that. They said that yeah. to us in the interview. But uh, could this be seven figures? Sure, it could. Yeah. Sure, it could. I mean, there's no, you know, this isn't some contingency case in which the lawyers can count on 
getting some chunk of jury's award at the end. There's nothing at the end of this rainbow for anybody mm-hmm. except some bills. And the winner's family paid all of them. Amazing. Wow. You know? And that was a lot of people. That's not a two-person law firm. That's a, no, law it's firm. a team. One of the th- Here's one thing that didn't come through. We didn't mention. One of the reasons that Tony Scro was able to persuade the DA's office Mm-hmm. that this was a case that they ought to not take, but at least examine mm-hmm. um, is because one, he had a good relationship with the prosecutors that he had always come into contact with when he was a criminal attorney. But the other is that the former DA of Clark County now in private practice is a partner in Tony's firm. There we go. So the former DA I, I was part of that discussion mm. that we didn't talk about that. That definitely helped help say to them when your former boss is one of the people saying to you, uh, this is something you ought to at least look at. There's not nothing here. There's enough here for you to examine whether or not you decide to go heads up to you, but there's something, there's enough here for you to look at. I, I think that helped. This also makes sense why they chose Tony Scrow, because that was right. a question that we actually right. had, because I think they, I think he was a defense attorney originally, right? He was, but he's the kind of, he's the kind of like guy you'd want for something like this. As he said, he's, he expected to begin this, you know, spend a little money and then say to the Winters family, I'm really sorry, but there's nothing here beyond your suspicion. Hmm. Uh, when the Winters family goes to the police and asks the cop, you know, if a spouse dies, don't you usually suspect the living spouse? And the cop said, no, I've never heard of that. Yeah, really? You've never seen (laughs) Dateline or any true crime show? I mean, they don't teach you in homicide school? Like, you want to start with the people closest to the victim? At least talk to them and examine them and then move outwards? I mean, that's pretty basic. But yeah, this, that was the, the that cop, I guess, never, uh, not one of our viewers. He should go work for Gnome. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He'd be very, he'd fit right in. Yeah. One question we had was that Kent, who's a private eye, is tailing Brent, and Kent is filming Brent, but Kent is also being filmed by a production team for an unnamed documentary. Okay, I'll get into that in a second. By the way, the Gnome cops, like, were. That, that's exactly what they did do uh, now that you mention it was they they looked at the people closest to her yeah that's you true know? Mm-hmm. yeah they've seen that's true. They, they know okay so your question about the private eye can't the private eyes filming brent the either bereaved spouse or murderer depending mm-hmm. on who you believe and he's being separately filmed by a documentary crew yeah that documentary was commissioned by tony scrow and Oh, he hired some production company that he knew and they shot a documentary, which included interviews with a bunch of the people that we've that we interviewed and a bunch of, you know, footage of the Scrow law firm at work. And then they went out on the surveillance. So, I mean, that was one of the things I wanted to show in that episode was that, you know, this one of our competitors only hires actors to dramatize things that occurred during the story yeah, uh, you which, would they don't, which they don't have pictures for which we don't do yeah. and i wanted to make it clear that this is not these people were not actors this is the surveillance that went yeah. on and so we were able to get some of that documentary we were able to license a little bit of that documentary and get that and use it but yeah it ran i think it ran on discovery 
Oh, I think so the documentary we can find ran it. on Discovery. Okay, um, but I don't know what it was called. I can find out and let you know. But I don't know what okay. it was. I don't know what it was. But I believe that it it was paid for by Tony Scrow and it did run. And so I guess on some level, indirectly, maybe it was paid for by the family. But I don't think they commissioned it. I think this was Tony's idea. I think he. I think what he wanted to do was build some public interest in the case. No, that makes sense. I have a few questions about the infamous deposition, which was one of the most so riveting great. depositions we've ever seen. So great. Um, Brent says they both wrote the check. You know, do you often I mean, sign why like you yeah, and do your you, wife do you split checks and you write the first name and she writes the last name or anything? Or every other letter you pass back and forth? I don't even know where my wife's checkbook is. <laughs> and I believe she would say the same thing. I mean, we ha- I- I've never heard of anybody doing it like that, which I'm going to write out $180,000. And then you're uh-huh. going to write out and zero, zero, and zero sets. <laughs> and uh-huh. then, yeah. Cause your zeros are better. Yeah. Right. You write the zeros better. And you do the zeros better. Yeah. You put the data in, I'll put the amount in. Then right. I'll sign. I mean, what? Nobody does that. And no. you know, he said it was for a house. It was a down payment for a, a house. house. Okay. Well, what house? Which yeah, house? Never what looked house? At Why was, there was no record of anybody looking at a house. Who's the realtor? Don't know. Where was the house? Can't remember. Why are Can't you remember. New, you know, I mean, we were gonna have a new, we're gonna have a fresh start with this new house in a house that is somewhere with someone's helping us. We've never looked at it. We don't even no. know if it's for sale, no, but that, we're buying. That's a, that didn't seem to hold a lot of water. Wow. Yeah. Tony says to Brent, "Is this funny to you? Susan is dead." And Brent says, "No, I do not." And one of our listeners and a Dateline lover, Pretty Plus More on Twitter, always says, killers don't use contractions. And you, I believe, retweeted it. Do you agree with that? First of all, I don't know Pretty Plus More, um, but I know that she is a close examiner of all things Dateline. And I believe that she is absolutely right about this. She's a very sharp uh, observer of not just Dateline, all things true crime. So uh, I think she's correct. Uh, killers don't use contractions. I, they don't say I don't. They say I do not. Um, Fascinating. Um, I cannot. Yeah. There's a series of mystery novels um, about a, a sheriff called Longmire um, written oh, by yeah. a guy named Craig Johnson. And uh, this brought to TV a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, in which uh, Lou Donald Phillips plays the character Henry Standing Bear. Mm-hmm. And Henry in the books doesn't use contractions. And he says, he's constantly saying, I do not, I would not do that. Uh, I have not been there. And Lou Diamond Phillips, I thought, did a great job of doing that same thing, of never using contractions. And when somebody doesn't use contractions, like really, like religiously stays away from using them, you notice it. You absolutely do. It sounds abnormal to the ear. Yeah. Uh So I I think pretty plus more is a lot of something. Oh, that's perfect. When you hear the word trifecta now, is it ruined for you forever? Okay, now here's a little look inside um, our process, which was, you know, him talking about, Brent talking about the trifecta, meaning Susan had three orgasms. I mean, poor taste. I mean, it's in such astonishingly poor taste. Uh, I mean, this is, wait. It's in poor taste if you're talking about somebody who's alive. 
Right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. I don't even know what to call this. Right. Just so, I mean, gro- yeah. gross with a capital G? I don't. I mean, one, this is like, first of all, <laughs> it's your wife. Right. Nobody has any business discussing something like Mm-mm. that with outsiders. That's one. Right. Mm-hmm. Two, this is a person who is not, not only no longer with us, but no longer with us in a terribly tragic way. Mm-hmm. And it's the yes. mother of your kids, and they're going to hear that. And like, it's on record. Right. Her parents are going to hear it. Right. Yeah, Everybody's going to hear it. And it's like, yeah, your kids are going to hear it. Come on. I mean, that in a nutshell is why Susan Winters was probably thinking about ending her marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're married to a guy who talks like that and doesn't have any boundaries about yeah. discussing things that are clearly personal to husband and wife like that. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to say that without using that word. But yes, and we debated whether or not to put that in. Oh, That's really? Interesting. Because it's so offensive. Of course, we're not the ones saying it. So I didn't re- I didn't think that it was going to reflect on Dateline, but it was... Right. It's offensive, yeah. It's an but... offensive thing to hear. On the other hand, you either have to say what it is that he said that made everybody flinch, which it did, mm-hmm. or you have to just leave it out entirely. But you can't say, and then Brent said something that made everybody think like, oh my God, right? But we're not going to include it because it's too right. gross. Because he's not like he's using a four-letter word, you know? He's using a euphemism, which is not in and of itself offensive, but when you realize what it represents, then it is. So we talked about that, but ultimately we decided to go ahead just because it, it's a window into who he is. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it certainly I mean, makes you recoil when you hear it. And wasn't the result that every female in the room immediately said that mm-hmm. he's guilty? It is the right. reaction. So it is definitely, if there was ever a... Maybe it's a putting it over the line moment where like this is the amount of respect he has. Forgetting about like good manners. Yeah. If what you're trying to do is convince everybody that you loved and respected your wife and you would never hurt her, that's probably the wrong thing to say. Yeah. And completely unnecessary to say it. Just didn't need to. No, no. no. It felt like boasting and it was. Yes. Why? It was not good. And it made me think it definitely wasn't true. Makes everyone immediately assume it's a lie. It's just so it makes you also look like a liar. So it's just it doesn't serve any of whatever purpose you're trying to serve with that statement. It makes none of it. It actually does the opposite. It's just clearly in this case, it it did do the opposite. I mean, again, there was no jury hearing it, but uh, but he failed that process, that deposition. No, he He, did. Yeah, it's probably why they couldn't go to trial with him. To be honest, because would they be able to air? that would they be able to use that at trial i mean i don't know this but the question is what kind of trial are we talking about a civil trial or a or a criminal trial i mean you're talking about a criminal trial can they use civil trial can they use civil trial depositions in a criminal case or no I don't know the answer to that uh, because I am not an attorney. I'm okay, but, but it certainly showed but, his attorney how he would do. Well, I'm guessing under that the, I'm guessing his attorney said to him after this, when he was thinking about taking the plea, I'm guessing that his attorney said to him, "That deposition is not going to be as tough as cross examination, and if you get called as a hostile witness on direct examination by." Uh, if you end up testifying, which you might want to do, mm-hmm. that's an example 
of what you're going to face, except what you're going to face could be a lot worse than that because there's no taking a break and there's no deciding, I don't want to do this anymore Yeah. Um, in a criminal trial, you know, all of which Brent did. I mean, the lawyer jumped in and said, wait, I need, we need a break. And then we're going to come back, but we're only going to answer certain questions about that day. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened, you know, well, you're not, that isn't happening in, a, in criminal court. Right. If you get up there, you're all kinds of stuff's going to come in. Yeah. And if that's the way he reacts, one, under pressure, if that's the kind of stuff he says that he thinks helps him, saying things like trifecta, wow. like mm-hmm. that is going to. And openly lying about looking at the check. Yeah, oh, you can't lie right. on the stand. That would just poison any jury against you. So I'm guessing that whether or not, I, I don't know the answer to whether that civil deposition would have been admissible or not. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And I'm going to make a fool of myself if I keep talking. Which inevitably happens. I'm going to try um, not to ask you any more. I just, yeah. No, no, go ahead because I've watched a lot of Law and Order. So, I mean, <laughs> um, there was an, in one of your other episodes, you said they can't use that because that's third person hearsay. And I, know, I thought, Mike is a lawyer. I know it's good when I can say things like that. It is um, good. Which means. Which means that the prosecutor had said that to me. That's why I gotcha. said it. Okay. It sounded really good when you said it, though. Secrets? Did you ever consider law school? Was that ever? Oh, sure I the... did. Sure I did. Yeah, I don't know. When I was in college, I thought about going to law school. And I, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to go to law school, and I thought about getting into federal prosecution somewhere. You would have been very I that good. Would be a, I thought that would be interesting. And then a couple of things happened. One is I realized sometime during my senior year in college that I could not spend another minute in a classroom. There we go. And the other thing that happened before junior year was I got a job in the summers, in the summer before my junior year at ABC News in Washington, Uh, working in the middle of the night and distributing the newspapers and, you know, picking up Sam Donaldson's suit from the cleaners and things like that. Right. And that was the beginning of my experience in the news business. That was 1975, coming up on 50 years. And then when I realized that I was already interested in that in this business before that, and then I got a job doing it. So then once I saw the end of college coming, I did not think anymore about going to law school. But I do frequently wish that I had done it because, in part, I wouldn't sound like such a fool when I answer questions like this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, getting back to our story, I do think that there's a, a fairly good chance, and I don't know this, but I think it's a fairly good chance that Brent's attorney said to him, if you think that deposition was difficult, What's coming in a courtroom? Yes. If you get on the stand, it's going to be brutal. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure the attorney listening to that would have said, by the way, if we go to court, you're not testifying. And if you don't testify, we won't. You know, you might get, you, yeah, the case against you might get you convicted. So, I mean, that might have been part of the attorney, you know, persuading him to at least consider taking a plea. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question that might make you sound smart. Um, Please. You're very smart. About time. Yeah. Mara has the question that we also wondered, what is a corridor of prostitution? Is it an actual hotel corridor or an, an alley? No, it's a, in this case, it was, see, when I first heard it, I thought that it referred to a corridor in the hotel. Right. And I thought, and I said, we're going to have to get a comment from the hotel. They're not going to want to hear themselves talked about as, you know, there's one corridor where it's just sex workers, right? And they're not going to, that's not going to be, but that wasn't what they meant. It isn't in the hotel. It's in the neighborhood where the hotel is. They meant corridor, meaning several blocks of city street, 
on either side. That's a corridor. This is was like, our debate. About, a corridor right. tends for me means inside, me too. Yeah, like no, a hallway. They mean, they, it, they meant blocks, a couple of blocks around the hotel where on both sides of the street that is going on. You know, you hear about drug corridors. I haven't, but okay. Yeah, but what they meant was haven't, but okay. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> I believe uh, you. Right, good. Well, thank you. But uh, yeah, that's what they meant. They did not mean anything particular to the hotel. They meant the area. Uh, Mara's going to love it because she said, for some reason, I can't stop thinking about this. Yeah, oh, no. no she's stuck uh, on if it. You, if you, if you <laughs> yeah. check into that hotel looking for the sex corridor and ask for the sex corridor at the front desk, you're going to be disappointed. It's going to be upsetting. Yeah. They're going to be like, yeah, it's not on our property. Wow. <laughs> We did not get there. That's a shame. No, we, we could, did not. We totally misunderstood. We misunderstood. We should have made, made that clear. Yeah. yeah. No, it's all right. <laughs> I don't think you needed to. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jennifer wants to know if you've ever been to a Sonic. I and have been so, to a Sonic. You know, I'm on the road What do you get there? I've only been to a couple of Sonics, so I'm probably getting the most basic cheeseburger they have. Okay. But I like the fact that it's a drive-in, you know, to get out of your car. I like that. It's nice. You know, I'm usually heading somewhere. But yeah, I've been to, I've been to a sign. There are not too many fast food places that I have not been to. I know you look at me, you think that's not possible. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah. I think steakhouse. I think, well, the palm, yeah, but I the mean, palm. You know, I think you literally eat all your meals at the Palm. I would eat all my meals at the Palm if I were allowed. If they were open for breakfast, I probably would. I mean, we're on the road a lot, you know, yeah. and uh, the place I'm most likely to go when I'm on the road is Whataburger. Yeah. Uh, which is primarily, I guess they, they're. It's Texas, right? They, I think it's Corpus Christi is where it began. Mm-hmm. And then they're all over Texas and they're all over uh, that part of the country. I had one in New Mexico for the first time. And mm-hmm. they're great. I do love the water. Yes. Very good. Very yummy. Yeah. Uh, and very well done. I got to give them props, but there's not one anywhere near where I live. And uh, the thing about McDonald's is like, they're all the same. You know, the Big Mac you get in Seattle is going to be just like the one you get in Miami. That's true. When you're, it's comforting. When, when you're traveling like that, sometimes that's a good thing. Unless you're out of the country and then it's wildly different. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's different. <laughs> that, that becomes a whole new adventure. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to go on to wreckage. Wreckage. Let's move on to wreckage. Oh, boy. Wreckage, my soul. Wreckage yeah. of the heart. Heart. Yes. Heart wreckage. What do we do with our anger for the South Padre DA who didn't prosecute and Plano and the police officer who asked the high schooler if she liked being choked? How do you control your emotions during these episodes? Like, I don't know if you know Clue, but we had flames on the sides of our faces the whole time. I mean, first of all, like when I'm. When we were first working on this story, I just thought this was going to make people furious. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just, sadly, this is not everything that's wrong with the criminal justice system because there's a lot of things wrong with it that, that aren't brought into sharp focus by that episode wreckage. But there's a lot in here that is just so wrong and still going on today. Um, most sexual assault cases aren't pristine. I mean, the image of the rapist who you know, leaps out from behind a fence and drags you off the street and where place where no one can see you and attacks you and you've never seen him before. And he's never seen you before. That's like 1% of rapes, right? Like, like rapes in which, you know, the assailant, and maybe you had some previous relationship with him, either friendly or consensual, or just, it was a person that you knew from work, but you'd been polite to them or otherwise like that kind of thing, much more common. Right. And so the idea that you're going to get this sort of pristine case is crazy. 
you look at Katie Coates. Right. Bruised. I mean, traumatized. My God. And almost didn't want to report it. Just wanted to very typically sort of just, this is not happening. Yeah. I don't want to relive it if I don't report it. I don't want to think about it again. I don't want to ruin the weekend for my friends. I don't want to talk Mm -hmm, about it, think about it. I'm just going to Mm -hmm. forget about it. Right. That's pretty common. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, some detective said, you want this to happen to somebody else? And she's like, all right, you're right. And she goes in and reports it and has the kit done and all that. And then they're like, "Eh." he said it was consensual. So, So they just don't go forward. And they didn't go forward in Allen, which is a terrible story um, also. (sighs) And they don't go forward in Plano. And in Plano, you know, it sure looks like the detective is trying to talk her out of filing the case. It sure does. You sure do get, I mean, again, I don't know what was in his head and he didn't want to talk to us, but it, it does not look like this guy was raring to go. It looks like what he wanted her to do was, was realize, hey, we're not going to win this. Mm -hmm. Which why not? How are you not going to win this? You have video of exactly what she's saying. So what what do you mean you're not? This is not just a her story and there's no documentation. You actually have some documentation in that case, right? You had I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but I am to what why they thought this wasn't going to work. But I mean, you, you could say that what they want to see is injuries, but Katie Coates had significant injuries right. and they didn't go forward. So mm-hmm. what is it that's going to persuade you? What mm-hmm. is it that's going to make you think, oh, yeah, she's telling the truth here? You know, mm-hmm. no one asks robbery victims if they're complicit because they hand over the money. Nobody mm-hmm. says, well, wait a minute. When that guy had a knife and said, give me your wallet, you said no, right? And, and nobody does that. No department does no that. No one it's does that. But for some reason, we don't extend that to sexual assault, right. which is insane. Yeah. And this idea that the case must be at like 90% and 10% in terms of evidence mm-hmm. before we go forward mm-hmm. is nuts. Mm-hmm. Is nuts. I mean, this is what happens. This episode wreckage. This is what happens when you don't believe women is these guys go out. These rapists continue to rape and assault and wreck people's lives. And as we now know, far worse than that, too. Escalate. You know, that's not the end of it. Then they start killing people. And I knew it was going to make people angry. It made me angry. Yeah. made a lot of people, you know, on social media angry. Um, uh, It's pretty tough to look at this any other way. I mean, this guy kept getting a pass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason. And in some cases, it was prosecutors. In some cases, it was police departments. And in some cases, right. it was just the kind of ennui that, that, I mean, part of the other problem is that rape isn't seen like the kind of must-solve crime that murder is. It's very hard to imagine any jurisdiction in America saying on the record, you know, we have all these murders that are unsolved. And we collected all the evidence on them. Like we did all the forensics and DNA and all that. You know, we collected all that. But we don't really have the money to test it. We don't really have the time. We have too many other cases. All this stuff's locked up in a back room. And right now we just don't have enough people to go forward with all these murders. Yeah. Anybody who said that would be immediately, I mean, a couple of things would happen. One is the city council of that city would be saying, what are you talking about? Right? right. How dare you not get on these murders? And if you don't have enough manpower, you know, or money or lab money or anything, we'll 
we're going to work on getting you that right now. For some reason, rape doesn't get that kind of doesn't get that kind of primacy in law enforcement, and we can all argue as to why that might be. But certainly, one reason is that the majority of those rapes don't happen to men. Right. And for some reason, people that were at fault in these, this case, whether it be the cop or whomever, are looking for something. They're looking for that, I guess, quote, perfect victim, right? Where they, they have a, a vision in their head going in of, you don't seem like what I would think a, a rape victim would right. be like. You're not doing the things I think you would say in this moment. Right. And when I think specifically, Melissa, and she's yeah, talking, yeah, yeah, she sort of yeah. is yeah. using a lot of like. Well, I mean, look, she was young. Yes. She sounded like a young person. She was right. a teenager. And it right. seemed like he kind of wrote her off because that she wasn't doing whatever he, that comp thought in his head, how a victim would be acting in this case. Right. And right. so it was like, oh, she's embellishing. Or he thinks I can look forward to seeing you on the stand and I don't see you being really compelling, testifying against this guy. Sure. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. Right. But again, yeah, let's prosecute all the perfect victim cases. Let's also prosecute the imperfect victim cases. Mm-hmm. Right. If there's a reason to believe that they are telling the truth. Right. And some investigation will reveal that usually. Yeah. Yes. But look, I mean, part of what you're talking about, about sort of, perceiving the victim as not being a good complaining witness or the kind of person mm-hmm. who's not going to be a uh, kind of witness that you want in court. You know, Yeah, it felt I mean, like that. It felt like he was just writing yeah. her off immediately. Well, I mean, there's clearly some of that going on. And again, I don't know whether this was happening in this case, but, you know, part of that is, to me, is the, the sort of perpetual treatment of rape as a women's issue, right? Uh. You know, don't wear revealing clothing when you go out. Mm-hmm. Don't get drunk at a party when you don't know anybody else there. You know, don't get, uh, you know, the, the, don't walk alone on a dark street. Learn self-defense. Okay, those may also, I mean, those are mm-hmm. to different degrees. Those are all reasonable pieces of advice for women. But always absent from that conversation is, yeah, we can teach our daughters self-defense and we can teach them not to walk alone. But why aren't we teaching our sons not to rape? Because if we Thank were doing you. that, then it wouldn't make any difference where they were walking, right? Thank you. But that part of the discussion is always absent, or it certainly has until pretty recently. I mean, again, that's kind of where we are. And, you know, Susan Brown Miller wrote a, a book in the 1970s called Against Our Will, which is about men, women, and rape. Um, I, I think it came out in 1976. It was a, a long time ago. But there's some stuff in there that still holds up and is very interesting. One is about rape being greatly underreported because of the stigma attached to it, because of women that think to themselves, gee, I'd rather really not ever relive this. And by the way, you know, they're probably not going to convict the guy anyway. Right. right? Or thinking somehow um, they deserved it because they right. were wearing something or saying something. And or I don't want to have on. my, I don't want to have my life put on trial. Right. I mean, I, mm-hmm. those are all reasonable things to think. But one of the things they talked about, again, this is a book that's been out more than 40 years ago, is, you know, that rape is an underreported crime and in the 50s and 60s was thought of as being a crime with a great deal of false reporting. In other words, women who were lying about it. This was perceived by law enforcement as a crime in which a number of women, uh, a larger percentage were lying about that than, for example, other crimes. And when departments shifted to having women interview rape victims 
or women who said they were rape victims. All of a sudden, the level of false reporting dropped to pretty much what it was for all other crimes, which was not too many. And of course, it turned out that you know women felt comfortable talking to other women about this in a way that they didn't with male investigators. And of course, you know, one of the things I saw on Twitter when this episode was on the air was, you know, they, they, everybody needs to hire more women as sex crimes investigators. Mm. Well, that's maybe true, although you wouldn't want to say to women entering law enforcement, you're going to be a sex crimes investigator because because you're a woman, right? Because that's what we need women to do here. I mean, women are also great at solving homicides and frauds and mm-hmm. all kinds of other crimes too. And you wouldn't want that to be exclusively the purview of women. But what we can do is make sure that all detectives, male and female, get the kind of training, which by the way, the Plano police chief says they now do get, that will ensure that that kind of you know, the, the, the way they spoke to Melissa Winton won't happen and that, that women will be encouraged by the way police are talking to tell their story. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be believed. You're going to tell a story alleging a crime by somebody else. We're going to check it out. We're going to listen to what they have to say. We're going to check that out too. And then we're going to make a decision, but we're not going to encourage you to not report it or to essentially step back from the allegation you've already made because I don't see us winning in a courtroom because that is not the way this should be going. No. All right. I'm getting off. I'm getting off my little soapbox now. Look, no, everyone, all of our listeners just appreciate that you're a champion for women. And we've, we yeah. say it all the time. Thank so you. we need it. Your sensitivity with Katie specifically was really yes. just really nice to see. So thank you. Well, thank you for, for that. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I have a couple last questions, yes. but do you have any more on wreckage that you'd like to say? Do I have anything more? Or either of you? How did you feel about the end? You did speak with, I'm sorry, uh, it wasn't the DA, it was the chief of police, the, I believe. Yeah, well, the new was, chief of police. Uh, well, he's the new chief of police, but he was there when this happened. He was a bit defensive. Well, he wasn't chief. Yeah. He was, and he, oh, um, he was. I think his explanation was essentially that... Um, we didn't do anything wrong right? other than the way we spoke to her. You know, we shouldn't have been perceived as encouraging her to not go forward with it, but we didn't do anything wrong in that we didn't have a case, right? We couldn't arrest him. And we also couldn't arrest him that other time when Fort Worth said, can you please arrest him? Cause this, we want this guy off the streets. Okay. I mean, you've got the Tarrant County prosecutors saying, yeah, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. Mm-hmm. But his position was, I don't care what they say. We didn't feel we had enough. I mean, look, in the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate but equally important groups, the police who investigate crimes and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders. And when they're not on the same page, then who's in trouble is the law abiding public. Can we insert the law and order? Yeah. Dong, dong. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was good that he came on because a lot of times they just and won't good come for on. him because until that, yes. And good for him coming on to take his castor oil. 
which is an archaic reference. Oh, which, of course, people, I get it. Right, which is also a, archaic. Which is, a, which is a terrible tasting thing that yes. parents used to feed yes. their kids in the 1950s because yes. of the belief that it was somehow good for them. So taking your castor oil refers to doing something unpleasant that, that ultimately is the right thing. That's a reference that's just going to go right out of the language. Um, <laughs> Not so, if we don't uh, let it. Not if we keep not, using it. Don't not come Katie on. I, not if Katie and I dig in here. You have no idea, Kimberly, you have no idea what that referred to, right? Did you get that it one? It sounded familiar. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. There we go. All right. Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. I watch a lot of old movies. I watch your brother on TV. Oh, yes. that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. But anyway, yes, Chief Drain did come on to face the music, let's say, and good for him for doing that. And yeah, and that's his position is... We are better equipped now to deal with with rape victims than we were then. That's why this wouldn't happen again. And you may think we had a case. You may wish we had a case. You may believe we had a case, but we didn't have a case. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, other prosecutors think differently. And clearly the result of this was Reggie Kimbrough went out and committed other crimes, other rapes, some which we may not even know about yet. Right. And a couple of murders. And the problem is as a result of being, I don't know if this is a direct correlation, but in my mind, so this is all allegedly in Katie's mind, what happened was he was getting called in, right, to be questioned in these other cases that ultimately didn't result in charges. So what he's thinking is, well, I just, people keep putting me up for this. So now I have to kill people that I sexually assault. Because I mean, they, I have, maybe you if know? you're if you're believing that he's thinking rationally like that, sure. Or Again, he's not, we know, but we don't know what's going on in his head. Or you no. know, they fought back in a way that made it impossible for him to. I mean, the second victim uh, drowned. Right. Uh, she was hit on the head and thrown in the water, and she drowned because she was essentially knocked out and thrown in the water. Right. So he may not have intended that to be that kind of murder. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't know whether the blow to the head would have killed her or not I oh yeah um i think uh, he was starting to feel the walls closing in and maybe, thought maybe maybe i mean look, in one guy, more victim right and uh, we, i mean we can psychoanalyze this guy from afar but sure I mean, it, 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 no question but that is all we're doing and we don't know no it's true so i mean is it possible that this guy feels some rage against women he pretty clearly probably did. Mm-hmm. and it came out in different ways mm-hmm. and sometimes it came out in rape and then later it came out in murder And, you know, there's always this, I find myself doing this too. There's always this, this feeling that you want to explain the behavior. You want it to make sense. You know, right. Yes. And this doesn't make sense. I mean, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes the reason he did it this way was, you know, because he's an evil guy, Mm. you know, Matt Owens. Right. You know, in, in Nome, Alaska, yep. may yep. have killed Sonia Ivanov because he thought, wait, she's going to tell. Or, or he may have gotten the gun from the evidence room and thought to himself, you know what? I've raped so many people. It would be fun to see if I can get away with killing one. Right. We don't know. But to attribute reason to these guys without any evidence actually backing that up, we probably shouldn't do. Thank you. I appreciate that. One more thing I do want to say, which was. Like, you know, I meet all of the families of the victims in these cases. Mm-hmm. And um, God, it was, it was, I mean. Uh, Molly's family. You know, Molly's, Molly's parents just, you know, like they, I just, I felt so awful for them, you know. 
And they were so steadfast all through this. Right. And I mean, her mom, you know, Tracy not done. She can keep going. I mean, they've done this whole the Love Foundation, and, which is a, just a great thing, which is yeah. going to make the lives of sexually assaulted women and kids easier all over the country whenever they do this. The soft interview rooms and the, mm-hmm. the beloved bundles, they're called, you know, clothes you can put on after they take your clothes for the rape kit. All of that makes people feel, you know, more comforted and more mm-hmm. human and more like life getting back to normal. Yes. And like you've done the right thing by talking about this. Yes. Not like you're going to continue to get savaged by this same system. And treated um, like you're a criminal. Right. Like you're sitting wrong in with an interrogation yeah. support. So, yeah. you know, right. And that you're going to go to a, right, a, a you'd be talked to in a room that uh, like you did something wrong. Yeah. You know, that you'll the same room that's reserved for, for the actual criminals. Exactly. So, you know, I think they are making a huge difference with that. And I loved meeting them. I did. They were, I was going to actually ask about them. They were very impactful just in the way that they also described their daughter, just the way you, you felt like you, you knew her and the mom, when she said that it was the best 22 years of her life were yeah. those 22 mm-hmm. years. It was just, it was very, very special. One of the things I loved most about that interview was, or one of the things in the interview that I loved the most was when the parents kind of admitted that like, you know, her friends are going to know stuff about her that we don't know. Yes. You know, yes. which is, which is a degree of awareness and introspection that you don't hear a lot yes. you know the sort of more standard response is you know i know my daughter better than anybody i mean she came out of my body and i've known mm-hmm. her my whole life don't tell me i don't know how she would behave in this situation and they were like much more like well you know i mean we knew her she was a wonderful person but there were unquestionably parts to her personality and to her life as she was you know in early adulthood right. that we didn't know about because, mm-hmm. you know, and that's true. I mean, when you're when you're 21, 22 years old, you know, you don't tell your parents everything. No, you tell the parents, you tell your parents some of the things you're doing and others you think like, well, I don't I'm, right. I don't feel like having that discussion with you right now. And they were they were aware of that. I thought that was great. The brother in A Walk in the Rain also said, if something happens to you, I don't know who you're hanging out with. I don't know what your life is. And we just read a book for our Patreon book club where they suggest like having a list of people the police should talk to and you give it to your best friend, whoever you're interacting with that's important in your life. Good idea? It is a good idea. It is a good idea. I have seen some people on Instagram make binders, and Katie thought that was a little too far. Okay. I mean, it's probably also possible to overdo that. Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you very but, much for the validation. But, uh, Thank you. Yeah, I don't know that you want to spend a lot of time. That's what I said. Like, like, like laminating making a, Yeah, making a list of like, if I die, this is who you should speak It's too with. far. These, it's these just... are the most likely suspects. No, but I mean. A Dateline storyboard? You know. No, it's too far. It's too far. <laughs> Can't be doing that. It's possible to overdo that. But the general idea that, uh, I mean, what kind of world are we living in when people are doing that now? You know? Yeah. You know, um, but if it makes them feel safer or well, better yeah, or more and, in control. No. no, I mean, I'm for anything that makes people safer and better and more in control or feel that way. But uh, I had a question going back to wreckage. Where does it stand right now? Where did wreckage leave Reggie? Uh Reggie Kimbrough pled to pretty much everything. Okay. Uh, 
he will not get parole. He is in, he is locked up forever. On I believe some of his clothing somewhere, police found DNA that didn't correspond to anyone in the case or anyone that's in the database. And they are wondering whether there are other victims who have not come forward, other sexual assault Mm -hmm. victims. And so they were looking at that because maybe there are. And that was the thing we last said was we we may not have heard the last of them. I mean, again, this would be a case of adding offenses to somebody who's already going to serve their life uh, behind bars. But there, there might be other cases. And I'm wondering if people that watched the Dateline... I'm wondering if any other victims that have seen the episode have been possibly feeling like they can speak out. You never know. There might be people who are, are going to come forward. There also might be people who think like, well, I was thinking about coming forward, but that guy's already now in jail for life going away forever. Oh. Now I don't have to, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. And as I believe that we will hear about it. Uh, we at Dateline will hear about it. If somebody else does come forward and it ends up checking out, because um, mm-hmm. we probably end up updating the story. At some point, yeah, you know, either in the podcast form when it runs or when it goes into reruns or syndication, you know, because we always we pay attention to like legal updates yeah. on stories, yeah. But at the moment, that's where we are. He's locked up, and they're looking for other. Victims. And they are looking. Okay, I was wondering yeah. if there was any yeah. word that wanted any have been found. Okay. You know, lost in this, I thought. I mean, I should say this: among the departments that sort of didn't do their job, there was one that did, which was Fort Worth PD. Yes, you know, and they did a pretty good job. Yes, um, but they stood out you know, he, in the episode. They, they did. No, they they were very smart. Mm-hmm. That thing about the electricity was very smart. Mm-hmm. Very smart. The electricity very was smart. so. That's great, detective. You know, we were talking about how one of the things I liked about these episodes in general was that they're about more than just the murders, and this one certainly is about more than just the murders of Molly Matheson and Megan Getra. And uh, you know, it's about the whole issue of believing women, and it's about the whole issue of the sort of the lack of primacy that sexual assault investigations have in some departments. And you know, what the other one was about money in the criminal justice system. And, you know, I, the, the, that's one of the things I liked about this was that there was there's something going on here besides just the story. Yeah. That we're all of your episodes there. are touching on something. You know, and they're not always. Sometimes it's just about person A gets killed and then, mm-hmm. you know, person B, C and D are looked at. And then it turns out to be person E. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've done a lot of stories like that. And that's nothing wrong with that. But there's been a change a little bit. In the editing that I mentioned to Kimberly, and I don't know if it's something that it was your decision or anyone else, maybe producer. It seems like a lot of the information that we get about the person who's killed or we get to sort of know them at the beginning where we're told about, you know, they're maybe their high school days or they're growing up and we meet a friend or things like that. I've noticed that some of that stuff is now being cut heavier towards the end so that at the end after we're finding out what the sentence is or all that stuff, the episode isn't just ending. It's really coming back to the person who died and who they were again. That feels a little longer in this season. I just wanted to say, I think it's really nice because it's leaving on this note of, you know, who this person was. And so I don't know if that was a decision that Dateline made, but it's something that I noticed that's happened a lot. There has been a, you know, we, we have sort of internally changed the way some of that stuff's laid out mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. We used to learn more about the person's bio in the beginning yes. of the episode, like part one. Very much so. Now part one is usually 
the discovery of the death or the person has died in the beginning of the investigation. Then part two is the bio. Mm -hmm. And then we go into more of the investigation. Mm -hmm. Also, historically, we have begun with, you know, here's the town, you know, yeah. you know, Phoenix, Seattle, wherever, <laughs> sure. right? Bismarck. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. we certainly started knowing that way. Oh, you did. Yeah. Um, you know, right. Here's, you know, here, here, here's, here's the setting. Um, and Keith is great at the, you know, talking about, you know, uh, you know, making these towns places like you, you want to move tomorrow. And you're like, oh, wait, maybe not. You know, maybe not. Um, so uh, we call it then, Dateline Shades the Town. Right. And then, right. And then we inevitably used to and still do sometimes come back to the victim at the end and we talk about, you know, the foundation that the parents have done sure. or, you know, the memorial for them or what is sort of being done now to honor the victim. And in the case of wreckage, we ended up breaking both those rules mm -hmm. internally. We started with Katie Coates being unable to tell her story yes. because it was so upsetting. Right. Mm. And, you know, you see the clapboard at the beginning and mm -hmm. she's spelling her name, which we do for every single interview, just because it's going to be transcribed. You want to have the person's correct spelling in the interview. And then in the end, we didn't come back to the to to the beloved foundation, uh, to Project Beloved. We did that as a whole separate web extra, in part because we thought that was too big a thing to mm. just sort of throw it mention briefly at the end. You know, and by the way, she's created this foundation. Okay, that's the end of the story. Because, like, to me, this story was more about the wreckage that this guy left behind. Yes. Because he wasn't prosecuted when he probably should have been. And then we were also able, the benefit of that was we were able to look at Project Beloved in a much bigger way on our website. Which is great. And, the, 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 and the, that's, the, that's like several minutes long, which is much longer than it would have been in a 38 minute long dateline. Mm -hmm. Um, so it ended up being better for, for both ways. And we, yeah, we, we started a different way and we ended a different way. Just sort of talking about, you yeah. know, the disaster that this ended up being. I don't know what's going on with season 30, but it's, it's really good so far. Well, good. Thanks. If your goal was to present something besides just the case, use it in a bigger context, it's a job well done. It's very good. Well, I'm always happier when we are doing a story in which, you know, it isn't obvious in the first five minutes how it's going to come out. Mm -hmm. And when we are talking about something bigger than the case we're doing, but we're also going to tell you everything about the case that we're doing. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. and the perfect example of that is, you know, a walk in the rain. I mean, I, you know, you feel like you know Sonia Ivanov at the end of that. On the yeah. other hand, there's a bigger issue that got discussed too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and awareness. You sort of, now people yeah, know that you, that's an issue. Yeah. yeah. And you can see written on everybody's face the agony that they're going through. And you learn something about her and how wonderful she was. And now you also see sort of, you know, what Alaska natives feel like they're up against um, a lot of the time in a place mm -hmm. where it's, you know, where all parts of your life is, are, are hard sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that is one of the hardest. Oh, yeah. We have taken up so much of your we time. We really have. We really have. Wow. Look at that. Thank you we so much. We cannot thank you enough for coming on. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. It's been and, a great uh, conversation. We've got we've got all these this episodes. Is there anything that we need to know about in the future coming? 
I can't say what it is, but there will be at least one more new episode of mine this year. At least we're scheduled to. Um, I hope now, so. Now things like uh, you know COVID and trial schedules sometimes get in the way, but at the moment um, I'm scheduled to be on with one more episode probably in December. Ooh, oh my gosh! And everybody should be joining Dateline Premium. Yes. Yes. So what do you get? You get early access. You get early access to podcasts and and they don't have any ads. Amazing. That's a good deal. It's a good deal. I signed up right away. I was like, yeah, I'm in. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an obvious choice. Thank Thank you you so much. much. We appreciate you. My pleasure. Uh, I can say. And I appreciate the two of you. And I believe all of the Dateline family appreciates the two of you. (gasps) Those are big words. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. So long.